There is an article on mentalfloss.com, for what it's worth, that's entitled, 20 Unusual Clubs That Actually Exist. And uh, Ralph, we can put the uh, PowerPoint up on there. Uh, that collects some of the strangest exclusive clubs in the world. Here are a few of my favorites. First up is the Association of Dead People. <laughs> no, this isn't a group of people whose votes get counted in U.S. elections. And yes, you have to still be alive to be a part of this exclusive group. But the origin of this group arose in the mid-70s when a man named Lal Bihar discovered that in an attempt to steal all the contents of a bequeathed will, a relative had had him declared deceased. Imagine waking up to that one day. During an exhausting 17-year process to get himself legally declared alive again, he discovered how slow and difficult that process was. So he founded an advocacy group to help others in a similar predicament navigate what to do. Apparently, this happens enough times to warrant an advocacy group. The Extreme Ironing Bureau was founded by a rock climber named Phil Shaw, who decided that the boring chore of ironing his clothes would be more interesting if he did it outside in his yard. From there, the idea, the idea went viral, and members joined the exclusive club by ironing while skiing in the French Alps, a base camp at Mount Everest, and while actively base jumping. For some reason, I feel like ironing your shirt would be the last thing on my mind in those settings, but I guess that's the point. My favorite one is called the Not Terribly Good Club, in which members would meet and share real-life stories where they either epically failed at something or, at the very least, were not terribly good at it. The founder of the club ended up publishing books that included the more famous experiences. Ironically, the club exploded so much in popularity and membership that its wild success forced it to disband because, after all, it was the not terribly good club. That's unfortunately, that's unfortunate because I feel like a lot of us could benefit from the camaraderie of that club and know we're not alone. As strange and funny as some of those are, there is an exclusive group that exists where those who belong to it are the only ones who can truly hear the words of God. And it's not Gnostics. It's not some secret society with strange initiation rites. It's not progressives who think they know what Jesus would do today. It's not proponents of woke culture. The answer may surprise you. What does one be, how does one become a part of it, and what does that mean for us today? As Jesus follows in this conversation with his fellow Jewish people in the temple on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, like I've been referencing over the past few weeks, the crowd has continually just become more and more antagonistic towards Jesus. And by the end of chapter 8, we'll see them join the Pharisees' desire to just off Jesus and be done with him. They've consist consistently argued back and forth towards Jesus that what he's been saying to them about accepting him as the Messiah, God, the truth, and their only source for freedom is all irrelevant to them because they descended from Abraham and they follow the Jewish law. 
Each and every time, especially what we looked at last week, Jesus has taken their argument and used it to contradict the very claims they're making with it. Last week, we saw Jesus turn around their argument that Abraham was their spiritual father with his rebuttal that they certainly weren't acting out their claim in their desire to want to murder Jesus in cold blood. What was the crowd's response? Throwing shade at Jesus and claiming his mysterious conception and birth meant he was born in fornication and using that as a derogatory statement at him. We can see Jesus isn't playing on a level playing field here. The people aren't understanding what Jesus is telling them, and they're refusing to try to understand what Jesus is telling them. There are a lot of people walking around this earth today who are the exact same way. They don't understand who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and they don't even want to try to understand what's really going on in their heart. Well, that's what Jesus answers in his following response. So, if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 8. If you didn't, that's okay. You can uh, find a, a book, a book, a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, you can also turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be picking up in verse 43, or you can look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. John chapter 8, verse 43, we read Jesus' response. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Jesus already knows the answer to this question at the beginning of this verse, since he immediately answers it. But he's calling out the people he's talking with to force them to see it. They don't understand what he's saying, and Jesus wants them to see that they're not getting what he's saying. Jesus immediately points out why they're not getting what he's been saying to them. According to one biblical scholar, the original Greek at the end of this verse, when Jesus says, it is because you cannot hear my word, is actually a reference to the Greek word logos, or the word. At the very beginning of the series, close to two years ago, I'm not going to ask you to remember this, we talked about all the power and meaning to the Apostle John referring to Jesus as the Word at the very beginning of this Gospel. Since John was written to try to move as many people from as many religious, cultural, and ethnic backgrounds as possible to put their faith in Jesus for salvation, he drew upon the various understandings of this concept known as the Word. In Jewish understanding, the Word was connected to the Word of God that spoke everything into existence, the personification of God's wisdom and God's written law. In Greek philosophy, the word was understood as the force that held the universe together. John alluded to all of these concepts to declare that not only does all of that exist, but it exists in a person, and I can tell you who that person is. It's Jesus. As the fulfillment and personification of the word of God, Jesus was the agent by which anything and everything that, that has and still exists came into existence at the time of creation. Not only that, but it continues to be Jesus who is the power that holds everything together and sustains the universe and everything in it. Jesus is the revelation of God's wisdom. 
And Jesus perfectly fulfilled and is the ultimate fulfillment of the entirety of God's written law to his people. The people have just tried to refute Jesus by claiming it didn't matter at all what Jesus said to them. God the Father was their spiritual father. It wasn't that what Jesus was saying to them was too hard for them to philosophically or theologically understand. They couldn't understand because they refused to believe in him. And ultimately, they refused to believe in him as all the meaning wrapped up in being the fulfillment of the entire word of God. It has to start with repentance and faith in Jesus as all that he said he was. God and deliverer from the curse of sin and all that he did. Dying for our sin and rising again to defeat it and death. By answering the Holy Spirit's churning in the hearts he churns in, and putting our trust in Jesus, his death and resurrection on our behalf, and repenting of the sin that condemns us to hell otherwise, Jesus as the Word is suddenly opened all up for us. His salvation of our soul opens our spiritual eyes to then start to understand more and more of who he is, all that he is, and what God's Word is really teaching us. Those who can't understand Jesus and don't want to understand who he is refuse to even put their basic trust in him for salvation in the first place because that is where it must always start. Those all over social media who claim to know what Jesus would say or how Jesus would respond to any hot given, uh, any given hot topic social dilemma but who refuse to first and foremost put their basic trust in him in repentance for salvation, have no clue what they're talking about. Because they simply can't have any clue. If their spiritual eyes have not been opened to take Jesus for basic salvation of their sins, how in the world can they understand who he is or how he would re respond to anything today? Secondly, by Jesus referring to himself as the word here in the Greek, he's declaring himself that he is all that concept is, including the embodiment of the entire word of God. You know, all the moral design and laws included in what had existed as the word of God up to the point of him making this statement. So if one claims to know how Jesus would respond to any social or cultural situation without seeking an accurate understanding of what God's word has to say about it, also have no clue what they're talking about. Taking Jesus' statement point blank right here means that you cannot take Jesus or at the very least claim to know how he would respond without taking the entirety of the word of God. Both testaments. This is what Jesus clearly says. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Verse 44. You are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's think about this very simply here. If one does not take Jesus for all of who he is, and by the opening of those spiritual eyes by God to seek his word for his truth, then who automatically is that person listening to? Satan and the world that he and his demons run amok in. It would be very easy for someone to say, well, that's a really radical thing to say. But what is the context here? Jesus is speaking to his very own people when he says this. He's not speaking to Gentiles or some people halfway across the world. He's speaking to his own people, people who are supposed to be Jewish, and he makes the same exact statement to them. Later on in this gospel, Jesus says the exact same thing, referring to himself as the good shepherd and the thief as Satan and this world. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Notice that. The thief comes only. This is his entire purpose. Only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a complete opposite worldview. Jesus also refers in the same chapter to his sheep knowing his voice as the good shepherd and following it. That is the only voice we should be listening to. The voice of Jesus. Today, the voice of Jesus primarily through the word of God, which he is the embodiment of. Any other voice is the voice of a stranger and the voice of the thief who comes only to steal kill and destroy the people and their desire to kill jesus were merely mimicking the character of their true spiritual father satan if you think about it just as jesus is the embodiment of life as john also writes in the first chapter of this gospel satan is the embodiment of death he is the one who tempted Adam and Eve, whose sin resulted in death, becoming the norm for the rest of humanity. He is the one who moved in Cain to kill his own brother out of mere jealousy. He is the one who then worked in the hearts of humankind for thousands of years to murder one another, start wars, start fights to result in death, kill th threats to thrones, abandon babies to die, move in kings to slaughter even the babies of their own people, perfect instruments of torture in death, initiate mass murder and extermination, and to lead as many people away from Jesus and be condemned to the eternal second death or hell as he can. Satan loves murder and he loves death because it destroys the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity, who God created and loves. The exact same observation can be seen today. 
Who do you think is really behind the push for more abortion rights and the expansion of abortions through not only all nine months in New Jersey right now of perfectly viable babies, but even the allowance of non-prosecution for parents who neglect their babies to death? It's not loving people who are looking out for reproductive rights. It's Satan who revels in the death of precious children created in God's image, given a soul at the moment of conception, and God alone has the right to decide when that life ends. Who do you think is really behind the push through TikTok influencers, politicians, and child psychologists and psychiatrists to manipulate children and children's parents into thinking children are trans and lead them to get irreversible surgeries that cause irreparable damage to their bodies, increased sterility and infertility, and also uh, considerably increases their suicide rate as compared to the non-trans general population? Who do you think is really behind that. There have been scientific studies on this. More death and less human beings. It's not loving people who just want to support a child's decision about themselves. It's Satan. God's word is clear that God created two genders that are inextricably connected to two biological sexes, male and female, with God-given and important roles that go along with those. Who do you think is behind all the alcohol, marijuana, and phar pharmaceutical drug addictions and epidemics that people use to escape this world and its pains, and in a lot of cases, whether or not they know it, try to replace a thriving relationship with God with? Satan. More destruction and more death. Now we live in a time when an extinction activist, extinction activist, is on Dr. Phil just last month to talk openly about huma how humanity should pursue actions to voluntarily die out eventually and that young adults should have broader access to sterilization procedures forever preventing them from being able to procreate down the road should they change their mind. All of this is Satan moving more and more in your face. He is the father of murder, as Jesus says in, our, in the word right now, and the prevention of humanity, as Jesus says right here in our passage this morning. Not only that, but as Jesus says right here, there is absolutely no truth found in Satan. Everything he says or moves people to say that is contrary to God's word is lies. It doesn't matter how good it sounds, how accepting and tolerant it sounds, or how loving it sounds. God is love, and God is goodness, and it's only God who determines what is love, and it's only God who determines what is good, what is loving, and what is true. And he hasn't hidden it from us. He's made it very clear to us in his word. It's simply whether or not something, someone wants to know it, or believe in it. Jesus is very clear here when it comes to the messages of this world, which are ultimately messages from Satan. If you hear a message or an opinion or a viewpoint on anything, you must seek God's word accurately first and foremost to see if it's a truth or a lie. 
It's not good enough to say, oh, well, that sounds nice or that doesn't sound nice. You have to run everything through the filter of the Word of God, an accurate understanding of the Word of God. Jesus is very clear about this. Anything that does not line up with God's Word is a lie. Who is that lie always ultimately from? Satan. And what is always the purpose of that lie? Destruction and death. So many people reject what God's word says about his creation of the universe and world and instead embrace naturalistic evolution to explain everything. But you know what? It's gotten to the point where there is so much even scientific evidence for creation, a universal flood, and the Tower of Babel to explain the origins of everything in the universe and world that scientists who reject it are willfully suppressing the truth, as Paul writes in Romans 1. They're just simply believing and perpetuating a lie of Satan. Creation scientists can so much better give evidence for and explain that evidence, the origins of the universe and the world, than the gaps and all the lingering questions that naturalistic atheistic evolution still cannot explain. So many people reject what Jesus himself says about him being the only way to God and eternal life and rather believe the very attractive lie that all faiths and religions are the same at their foundation and that all roads lead to some kind of paradise, whether that's a oneness with the universe or nirvana or a better reincarnation or some kind of heaven. If you actually take the time to study all of these religions and faiths, though, you will find at the heart of all other faiths and religions is the foundation of self-betterment and being a good person to try to earn your own way to that good ending. The one that stands alone is the one that says no one will ever be good enough to earn anything and that one can only be gifted extended eternal life by God's grace through faith in the substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus and repentance of sin and who that person once was. Then one can strive to be good only through the power and working of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Those who God has not opened their spiritual eyes yet to take Jesus for all of who he is simply do not see or understand any of this. Jesus point blank says that in verse 43. Jesus is the only way to God's truth, as he himself says in John 14, 6. And as believers, this is why it's so crucial we turn to God's word, not what sounds nice, not what sounds loving, not what sounds accepting for everything in this life. We will always find the truth when we do that. We will always find the truth when we do that because God wants us to find the truth. And God wants us to find the truth in his word. I've said this before and I will say it till the day I die. We can always trust what is written in God's word to be his truth. Any apparent errors or contradictions that critics of the Bible come up with can always be reasonably accounted for, explained, and understood to still be the truth. 
It may take some digging, but time and time again, God's word has, is, and will always prove itself to be true. But again, if one's spiritual eyes are not opened by the Holy Spirit, they will simply not believe in Jesus. First of all, nor believe what he says as the embodiment of the entirety of God's word, both testaments. It seems like everyone in the world will listen to everyone but Jesus and his word. Politicians, celebrities, social media influencers, music artists, and progressive Christians who reject, undermine, reason away, or ignore portions of scripture they don't like. Jesus already dealt with this 2,000 years ago and anticipating it continuing to happen through today. He has already spoken to this. Verse 45, But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Because Jesus speaks the truth that we need to be freed and saved from the curse of our sin, no one believes him. Because Jesus speaks the truth that he is the one and only way to be saved from that sin and be given access to God the Father and his heaven, no one believes him. Because Jesus said he was the one who created the universe, world, and everything in them, no one believes him. Because Jesus said that humans must still hold to the moral standards found in God's law, no one believes him. Because Jesus said we must love beyond what is expected, forgive beyond what is expected, stay faithful to our spouses beyond what is expected, and to treat sin in our lives beyond what is expected, no one believes him. Jesus says here and elsewhere that because he speaks the truth, no one will believe him because it goes contrary to what comes naturally to humanity. I want to be very clear about this. If the world readily accepts, promotes, and celebrates a certain version of Jesus, you can rest assured that that is not the true version of Jesus. Jesus says the world will always hate me. And the world will always hate you because the world hated me first. So if the world readily accepts, promotes, and celebrates a version of Jesus, that's not the true Jesus. The world will always overwhelmingly readily accept the lies of Satan than the truth of Jesus. Can anyone accuse Jesus of sin? Some progressives do with a woeful misunderstanding and blatantly obvious manipulation of Scripture. The lies are just pathetic. But sadly, there are those who are so influenced by the world and Satan's lies that they will still believe them. But in fact, Jesus never sinned. And like we talked about last week, Jesus didn't even inherit the curse of sin passed on to every human that has ever existed through a natural human father because he did not have a nat natural human father. He was perfect, spotless, and holy in every way. And as such, he was the only sacrifice who could pay for our sins on our behalf. Jesus calls out the crowd to point out why they shouldn't believe him. Verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? As holy, Jesus is the only person in human flesh who has ever spoken the pure, 
and unadulterated truth. That's exciting, really, because we need only access his word to find out what that is. So Jesus calls out to the crowd to point out why they should believe in him. In summation of everything Jesus has just said in our passage this morning, verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. We're going to see how Jesus' Jewish crowd immaturely immediately responds to this statement next week along with Jesus' answer. But for now, verse 47 is everything Jesus has explained in this morning's passage in a nutshell. Those who want Jesus and who answer the Holy Spirit's churning in their hearts to take Jesus for all of who he is will understand the word of God through the Holy Spirit. It must start with faith in Jesus. We can't expect anyone who rejects Jesus to understand his word. And we shouldn't at all be surprised when someone who rejects Jesus has at best an inaccurate understanding of God's word and at worst a downright heretical understanding of God's word. Jesus says right here in verses 31 and 32 and reiterates here in this last verse that a fruit of those who have truly accepted Jesus for all of who he is in repentance of their sin, is a love for his word as the word of God. That is a fruit. A love for the Bible as God's word studies it and seeks to have an accurate understanding of it through the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. A love for God's word to understand it does not purposely manipulate it, ignore it, reject it, or not believe it, or believe it's not relevant anymore. A love for God's word wants to know it, wants to understand it as a means of getting to know and loving God more. That's why it must always start with a humble faith in Jesus and in his substitutionary death and resurrection for our sin. That recognizes that we are surrendered completely to God and what he has chosen to reveal to us in his word. That surrender means our entire worldview is transformed by the Holy Spirit to start with God in and with everything. That transformed worldview causes us to start with God when we approach his word. Start with God with any dilemmas or problems in our lives. And start with God when it comes to how we view what is going on in the world all around us. Let us as believers and disciples of Jesus hold fast to him as the truth and God's word that he is the embodiment of as the truth. Let us not join in with the world and believe and perpetuate Satan's lies, but show the world and the lies it believes that we're different because we have the truth, whether or not they hate us for it. Let us cling to God's word as our daily spiritual sustenance, not seeking peace from any other source, since any other source 
will ultimately be a mirage. Let us seek our strength and power from the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Let us find our fulfillment in living to glorify God. Let us show this dark and unbelieving world, which embraces every single lie Satan throws at it, that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the only truth, and tell them how they can have him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and all that it reveals to us and all that it connects to us today. I thank you that your opening of our spiritual eyes, it doesn't matter who we are. It is a gift. It is your grace given to us to open our spiritual eyes to put our faith in you. And then when we do that, and we put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus and take him as the, our savior from our sin and king over the rest of our lives, that you will open our spiritual eyes to see the truth in your word. Lord, thank you for the peace that comes with knowing any truth you want us to know, you've already laid out clearly in your word. And it doesn't matter how many people rail against it. It doesn't matter how many people hate us for it. We have the truth and we can cling to that truth with all that we are. We thank you for that peace. We thank you for the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit to speak that truth in love. I pray that as we go out from this place today, that we would go out with new boldness, with new courage, with new power in the Holy Spirit. Knowing we have the truth, all we have to do is cling to it and tell one more person about you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.